All right, an hour from now, uh, Bucky's fifth quarter, Drew Ham's going to, or Ham's going to join us, talk about the, uh, his article I was reading yesterday, the death of college sports as we know it, as the Big Ten is welcoming in USC and UCLA in 2024. RJ, biggest college nut I know, goes on vacation. All of a sudden, <laughs> our pet's heads are falling off. RJ, what did you think when you saw the news? I texted both of you guys. I'm like, what? How does this happen? <laughs> I don't get to talk about it live. Well, what do you think? It, good thing, bad thing? I mean, as Macho Man Randy Savage once said, you may not like it, but accept it. Like, it what do you think? I mean, it's one of those, it it was odd to hear, but it, it I mean, we all know it's about the money. I mean, you're well, adding the number two market in the world. about the Benjamins, In the baby. United States, and you already have your New York market. You've now added the L.A. market, and you've now made it so the SEC cannot touch you in dollars. They can't. Um, no matter how much ESPN would like to think so uh, and wants to just keep putting the three top teams in the SEC down your throat and say it's a great conference. Um, top to bottom, I think the Big Ten's better than the SEC. Uh, you add these two teams and, I mean, you add some rich history. Uh, you know, this it's, is not, crazy it's not Big Ten history. Like 1920s, USC and UCLA have been affiliated with the Pac-12. Yeah. Um, it, and it, it's showing you the state of where college athletics are and where the, it's going. Yeah. Two and, mega conferences on the way. But you know what? If, if you think that's wrong or however you want to look at it, um, then get more money and start your own conference, I guess. Sure. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> but look, look, you the ain't re- stopping this beast. Look at the rest of the world. College athletics are not a thing. You you go to preparatory schools that are affiliated with like a Premier League soccer club. Yeah. If you're you going go to their academy, if you're going into athletics, you're going to school and playing under Real Madrid. Yeah. You're or playing let's say like Manchester under United. Manchester United. They have an academy. Uh, academy. But they sh- if you're good, they ship you off when you're a young kid. Yep. And you you your job, your schooling. I mean, you just learn, but you play soccer nonstop. Right. A little footy. Um, but but so. Is, is that going to turn into this? No, it's becoming more of an industry than it was even when I was uh, working for the Badgers. Uh, well, USC you know. and UCLA can what double their revenue? I think coming up here with yeah, inserting the twenty twenty four. Yep, and uh, the Big Ten's TV deal ends. Yeah, they're renegotiating like right now. now. Yeah, um, and you know you can renegotiate and be like 2024 is coming around i'll sign a two year deal and we'll see what happens yeah and look what we're bringing um, in the yeah. west coast market and what they had a 6 year 2.5 billion dollar 2.6 billion dollar deal um so you're getting a and that was in 2017 so i mean well my question is when's Notre Dame coming because I mean, they're in a, CBS Sports says the when, Big Ten's in a holding pattern, uh, waiting for Notre Dame. When and, you, yeah, my guess is once that NBC contract runs out, then it'll get interesting. Because if I'm if I'm Notre Dame, they get paid handsomely from the NBC deal. Yeah. Now Ooh. the SEC they want they'll want Notre Dame. Now will Notre Dame want to play in the SEC? I don't know. Probably most makes sense geography. Uh, Looking at it just from a point of view of geography to go to the Big Ten, since you're in the Midwest footprint, you already have 
that Chicagoland area, I feel like they'll probably go to the highest bidder once that... uh, Yeah, Big Ten makes... (laughs) Since the Big Ten does even revenue sharing, Rutgers and Maryland make more dollars per year than Notre Dame. Isn't that crazy? And that's with their $15 million a year deal with NBC and their additional... 10 to $11 million deal uh, in partnership with the ACC. So Notre Dame in its TV contracts makes 25 million <laughs> Rutgers and Maryland each make just under 50. Wow. Wild. Uh, let's go to the phone. When does their Oop. contract come up? Because I'm, I'm, obviously yeah. they're not going to be, they're not going to be able to 2025 get out of uh-huh. that. So if you join in 2024 and you step away from 25 million to gain, and granted, you're not going to get the full on your first couple of years. Um, it, it's a long play. To though. be tempting, you might. You might say, hey, as soon as you hit the conference, it's, it's going to be more than double. I feel like that that only benefits Notre Dame because then they can say, hey, NBC, we can get this from the Big Ten. We can get this from the SEC. They'll just go to the highest bidder. But yeah, still, NBC's, I mean, honestly, the SEC won't be able to compete. The SEC will not be able to compete in the TV market. But that's one, because they can't get, I would figure they can't get out of the contract. No. So they'll be, and they're not going to have, because. Um, with, maybe with one year left, they'll be like, sorry, NBC. Yeah, sorry, sorry, we're done. Or maybe NBC's like, uh, we'll think about buying the Big Ten The Big contract. Ten has the Big Ten network. They also have a lot of, uh, what is it, Fox, where they have the yep. big noon kickoffs. So Fox owns 49%. Uh, the Big Ten owns. Fifty-one percent of the Big Ten, but network. they're not. Notre Dame's not going to have somehow try and figure out a solution between Fox and then like the NBCs of the world, just right. because that that will never happen. They're gonna have to wait until after that expires. But as a one college network, <laughs> you're not going to even be making anywhere. They'll be like, here's another, tw- yeah. here's another twenty-five. And money, sorry, money cures all for See, these I, situations. I wonder. Like when you think about it back in the day when Notre Dame was Notre Dame, yeah. like, cause obviously they rose to power in what, like about a hundred years ago in the 1920s and mm-hmm. then were really, really good basically through the seventies. Well, and they were a big thing because the amount of Catholics across the country. And that was the highest profile Catholic school. And it was yeah. like, I want to watch it was from my, like, my what, Irish, the twenties through Irish. the seventies. They were like, that was it. And then you had Lou Holtz in the eighties, but like since, since 1990, I feel like Notre Dame is just getting smaller and smaller. Like that NBC deal was probably monumental back when it was signed. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Grant Bills of the Wisco Sports Show coming up. We'll continue this conversation. But uh, I'm but- with you. I don't think you can. I don't think you can actually pay that much money if yeah. you're an NBC for one particular team. Because yeah. I don't think there's that many eyes out there for one particular team. But if you tell me all of a sudden that you have a bunch of Ohio State fans in the Chicago Midwest area, a bunch of eyes on USC in the LA market, and maybe a few eyes on Rutgers in Maryland (laughs) and the New York market, but probably more Penn State. Yeah. And then you throw in the Michigans, the Wisconsins, the Iowas, where that's all they watch is their insert hometown team. You're getting a ton of eyes. I tried to, I sat down for a, Brunch, lunch, kind of in that time frame for the hot dog eating contest. Watching the hot dog eating contest. Yeah, you can't eat well, you while you're that. trying to actually eat your own food. Nope. Did, 
I got 13 hot dogs in. My wife and I were watching. I got, we got 13 hot dogs in. You're like, Ugh. and Jen looked at me. She goes, I literally can't watch this. You yeah. need to turn this. I'm like, yeah, I'm having a hard time doing yeah. it too. <laughs> it was tough. I was, <laughs> I was actually working out. I was working out while the, the, hot dog contest was going on from 11 to noon yeah. and it was pretty funny yeah. when Nelly you see, feeling good about himself yeah, when you see they flash the, up the uh, world champion in chugging yeah, yeah like, that guy had a body yeah. on him yeah. badlands that looked great <laughs> is that his nickname badlands booker or something like that? i don't know it's just this enormous, the enormous man yeah his body looks and like the badlands like, <laughs> he just chug it he is uh that is the a chugging champion if I think of Fourth of July and someone beating gluttonous, that's that's the body. And he let I think out of. like the the most guttural burp you'll ever hear. Oh. Like I could just imagine if if someone walked around with like a little needle or something and they popped them, I feel like it just he'd explode. <laughs> and then you look at Joey Chestnut; he's he's like skinny and in shape. And then the the I forget the the female competitor who's like a beast. She's a she's a tiny little thing too. Yeah. She's like, Jeez, well, little. most of the people that do it are actually in relatively de- yeah. decent shape. But the chugging guys, not, not. Yeah, they're not big, fat, obese people. But like the, the, the world chugger <laughs> champion, that that guy wouldn't be confused for someone skinny. No, that's that guy's got orbit. His own I orbit. Do, when we're talking about like the hot dog eating contest, <laughs> hilarious listening to the breakdowns where they were talking about... Uh, so. Joey Chestnut ate 11 dogs in the first minute. Crazy. That's just crazy. not right. That's crazy. By the halfway mark at five minutes, he had 41 down. Bun and everything. Bun and everything. everything. 41. Obviously finished with 63, so he faded a little bit. But they were. it was so funny. Like the last five minutes, they're like, oh, looks like Joey Chestnut's starting to fade a little bit. Still has a comfortable lead as he's up by like 20 dogs. <laughs> and they're like, might be struggling to eat through the broken foot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what? Because, yeah, he had a broken foot. And, yeah. he's a cast- and Rowdy mentioned this to me because I tapped out of the broadcast after 13, 14 dogs. Yeah. Well, yeah, Rowdy's like, they're trying to say he's struggling because he has a broken foot. What he's like, standing and eating. He's eating. <laughs> when, when I'm eating, I never, I don't think about the, my foot. You got to get a strong base, though. You got to get me able guess. to not only, not only did Joey Chestnut win his 15th on a broken foot, he also choked out a protester. And that wasn't in the broadcast because I watched the entire 10 minutes and I'm like, all of a sudden started seeing that on social media. I'm like, I didn't see this. I was watching the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I saw I saw a break on Twitter. Uh, Darren Ravel tweeted it out. There was a, this guy came with a Darth Vader mask with a sign that says expose Mythfield's Death Star. And Joey Chestnut, he like shoves Joey Chestnut aside. <laughs> Chestnut kind of looks at him weird. And then like Steven Seagal, Joey Chestnut puts him in this like, like this neck lock and then just rips yeah, him. I was going to say, it, like, it looks more like a breakneck than yeah. a choke out. Like it looked like Steven Seagal, uh, if you've seen like Under Siege, where Steven Seagal's like breaking like 40 people's necks. Joey Chestnut took this dude's neck and just, it looked like he snapped it like he was a reincarnation of Steven Seagal's acting career. And then the dude got thrown to the side and then Chestnut went to just dominating yeah. hot then dogs. Then he's like, now I'm back to eating hot dogs. Broken foot, choked out a protester, still won. Yeah, it still looked won. like he attempted the one-armed rear naked choke and then said, screw this, and just went with, with the, <laughs> the neck breaker. <laughs> and there was another protester up there too in a Stormtrooper mask holding up a sign that they didn't, no one even touched him for the longest time. Well, uh, was, he was doing it peacefully. He just stood there, and then this other guy pushed Chestnut. Chestnut's like, nah, I'm choking you up, bro. And then he <laughs> ripped him off. And another thing that uh, 
So I, I normally watch the hot dog eating contest. Like what else really is there to do on the 4th of July besides grill, watch baseball, and then casually t- tune into a hot dog eating contest for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> but I never really was like that focused on it yeah. when they had like the lead up to it. I guess they had like the chugging and then they had like multiple yeah. other contests, but they don't really, they don't really televise it where they're like focused on it. It's basically the last 30 minutes for they that just hot do the dog recaps. competition. Yeah. 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 But when they, when they had the introductions for the hot dog eating con- contest competitors, that some of the <laughs> descriptions were hilarious. Like, He's he ate a whole spaghetti buffet, like something like that. Kind of, but it was like, oh, you'd have to go he back and listen has to eaten him. a metric ton. Of, <laughs> excuse like me, one of the Rating guys from, the was from like Australia, and they're like, he's the number one rated competitor south in the southern hemisphere. Yeah, and yes, there's more than it, it's like it was just funny. I don't remember all the descriptions offhand, but they were like so outlandish <laughs> that it was like really raining from the mountains of West Virginia. The number one crab rangooter <laughs> in the world. The number two. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's. Uh, I'll give you uh, the calories and things consumed by Chestnut coming up. But first, uh, well, before he, right. he he was said that. Uh, it takes him two days after the competition oh, to can... start to feel normal <laughs> and yeah. then five yeah, to seven up. days to actually be normal again. Joey Chestnut on the Nathan's hot dog eating contest, 63 hot dogs. Now, this was uh, this is pretty low for Joey Chestnut. His over-under was set at 73 and a half. Joey Chestnut, check out these numbers. Ate 693 grams of protein in 10 minutes. The bad news. There's a lot of protein. Your body can't only your body can only absorb so much protein. So six hundred ninety three grams of protein for working out, Ebo. I think the number is you're supposed to eat as many grams of protein as what you roughly weigh. Yes. So if you're two hundred pounds, you should. If you were working out hard, you should eat about two hundred grams of protein. Correct. <laughs> I don't think Ch- Joey Chestnut goes much more than probably two hundred. Yeah. Let's. Uh, what does he weigh here? He's six. Six one does not give me a oh, weighs two hundred and thirty pounds. Okay, so he should have about two hundred and thirty grams of protein if he was working out afterwards. Six hundred and ninety three in ten minutes. <laughs> so he tripled his intake of protein on just hot dogs in ten minutes. Check out this for gluttony. He ate eighteen thousand nine hundred calories. Jesus, that's about the. That's about almost a week's worth of calories <laughs> for the average human. Check this out. He ate 1,134 grams of fat. My God. 2,268 grams of cholesterol. He also took in 46,179 grams of sodium. Man's going to keel over. And 1,595 grams of carbs. How do you even, how does your body bounce back? And... Two days later, when he finally got unbound, he had one of the 500 Keurigs <laughs> like if you watch South Park. He took the world's biggest dump. That'll be tomorrow. Uh, Rowdy, Joey Chestnut, since his debut, he has eaten 1,152 hot dogs and buns in that event alone. Do you think, so I don't know like his marital status or like 
his relationship status, but do you think if say he has a family or a significant other, do you think he reserves the toilet two days after <laughs> he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm putting dibs on this. This is where I'm going to be for the next 24 hours. And don't bother me, honey, unless I need more TP chestnut proposed. To his- <laughs> I'm sure that's already fully stocked. <laughs> <laughs> honey, I just blew up my ass. Chestnut proposed to his longtime girlfriend, Nestle. Now, isn't that rich? Nestle Ricasa just before defending his title in 2014. How about that? Hey, honey, will you marry me? I will. All right, now go watch me take down 73 uh, hot dogs in 10 minutes. So, yes, apparently, Rowdy, he uh, proposed. What's, what's, his, what's a net worth like for the champion of hot dog eating? I, I'm, I'm going to Google it right now. I'm curious I'm, uh, because I, it, I don't know if these guys do it professionally to the point where they don't have to work. I'm, I'm sure they have sponsors, right? And Yeah. yeah I mean, do, okay. To 2022 net worth estimate for Joey Chestnut. Take a stab. Take a guess. $2 million. $2.5 million. Now, I don't know if, like, that's net worth, right? So, like, that could be, you know, he owns a house. See, Ben, and- ben just messaged us saying the purse for winning was 10, 000, or 10 grand. And I wonder how much money you have to spend to prepare for a competition like that. Because, listen, so um, I remember, remember last year in the White House tweeted out that you're going to save 16 cents on your 4th of July barbecue. Remember that, Rowdy? Well, I think from last year to this year, uh, it, didn't it go up over $10? Isn't that what it is now? Like we had, I think it, I think from the sixteen cents that you saved last year, you now paid an extra ten dollars this year. So you burned through it. So what I'm getting is, I you know, if you go in grocery shop, which you got to eat, you realize that food prices are going up. Yeah, but don't they eat a lot of like? Isn't it like lettuce and kale yeah, to, to like grow their stomach? stomach? Yeah. At least that's somewhat cheaper than buying like a steak. And. Like, do you have to pay your way in to these competitions? I would, like, obviously, if you're a Joey Chestnut, I would think so. Uh, dude, they had people coming from all over, not only the country, but they had, like, the biggest eater in Australia. Yeah. So I feel so like you're you're not paying all that money to come to the United States just to potentially win ten grand. All right, so right, Chestnut won, obviously, 15 times now, $10,000 each time is the payout. Uh, competitive eaters can easily make... Yeah, well, I was gonna say, even if you think about it, that's the only competition he does in 15 years. He made 150 thousand. There's some pretty good jobs out there that make that in a year. Yeah. So they say right here, um, competitive eaters can easily make half a million a year Ooh. between a combination of winnings and sponsorships. So specific sponsor details are hard to come by, but in 2014 alone, Chestnut made 230 thousand dollars in sponsorship money. That's pretty good for a job where you just eat. Yeah, but is it? Like you like his cholesterol, his fat, his carbs. I mean, he's not Yeah, but he's people not fat. People eat like crap. Oh, yeah. A, and work at a job where they make 40 grand. Yeah, your average American eats has got just the a diet of a dumpster. So if like, you're going to eat like crap, you might as well make 230. Yeah, that's true. I mean, hell, you see people making... I don't think he signed up to be a competitive eater for his health. You see people making below minimum wage eating the most bull crap you could ever get your hands on. I don't know if they have a carrot eating competition. No, I don't think so. <laughs> and you, Rowdy, you were looking at the world's... Uh, or the the uh, the chugger guy. Who is this guy again? The Badlands? I, I don't remember his name. He was just a big dude. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, his name is Badlands. Uh, Eric Badlands Booker. 
You set the world record after chugging a two-liter container in just 18.45 seconds. Jesus. Is he diabetic? <laughs> well, dude, they ha- Yes, he was all- recently diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. You have all different kinds of people that come and do it. You have, like, a dude that looked like he was probably 5'7", a buck 50. Yeah. You had some of those girls in the competition were pretty small women. And then you tiny. have this guy who's massive. Who's got his own orbit. Yeah, you have, you have Joey Chestnut who's 6'1", 230. And then there was a guy, I don't remember his name either. He was 6'9". <laughs> he was 6'9". That guy could fit a lot of dogs. Not as much as Joey Chestnut, though. My God. Uh, let's see here. Rotorate Live. Our guy on Twitch says... Some, some dudes are, like, pretty buff and in shape, too. The King says he should be sponsored by Tums. Our guy Rotorate says he's endorsed by Hooters, Hostess... Pepto-Bismol that has official condiments on his website that he sells to his almost quarter of a million YouTube followers. So he's making good <laughs> so money. So him and John Daly are competing for that Hooters. If you're a Hooters girl or a Hooters employee, who would you rather take a picture with? Joey Chestnut or John Daly? I'm going to go by... Daly. Yeah, I'm going to go by the media and all the pictures we see. I think Daly's probably a little more popular. Yeah, he's. I got my eye on Daly. Find that. Yeah, so there you go. Joey Chestnut, 15 titles. Wow. He he set the record, Rowdy, in 75. Let's see here. 76, excuse me. He did 75 in 2020, 76 in 2021, and then 63 uh, for You know how they make a big deal like on Sunday Night Baseball when it's like, oh, this player played with Ken Griffey Sr. and played with Ken Griffey Jr. <laughs> I think they could maybe do something on Joey Chestnut. His endorsements with Hooters extended from John Daly's career to Little John's career. <laughs> this guy is eating with the best. John Daly Sr. and John Daly Jr. Uh, our guy Matt Peters says, uh, good morning, Matt, at Big Bucky 29, over under on how many times Joey Chestnut has to flush. Oh, we're talking, I'd set the over under on like five and a half. Like there's no way that he's just, that's not, you know, they always say, uh, have you ever seen those uh, infomercials on like the new toilets? It was like, you can flush a whole bucket of golf balls down. You've seen those? It's like, first of all, A, who's, who, who takes dumps like it's little golf balls? What are you like, a, the Easter bunny? He, he's probably invested in those industrial like super flushes. Yeah, it's just one big, like big hole. It's probably just a porta potty. He just lets it all flow. All right, there you go. Sorry to get a little graphic there. But Joey Chestnut, again, I, I can't, like, is it impressive? Yes. But also, is it absolutely disgusting? Yes. It's like it's impressively disgusting. It's like Hooters, Rowdy, delightfully tact- tactful. That's our tagline, delightfully tactful. The Nathan's hot dog eating contest. Impressively disgusting. Disgustingly impressive. I like name? how his nickname is Jaws. Jaws. Yeah, I, yeah, just- I wish... I wish I could have remembered some of the intros on some of the guys because it was pretty funny on them basically describing their nicknames or things that they do. Because, <laughs> like, you think about it, it kind of rivaled, like, WWE wrestling for me. Like, how they have, like, these long nicknames or whatever. That's what it almost seemed like. But I guess you probably have to hype it up like that here, here. for a competition. I have uh, I have one from a couple of years ago. Let's see. We are young. We drink our coffee with milk and sugar. And as we age, we drink it with milk only. Then we drink it black. Then we drink it decaf. Then we die. Our next eater is at decaf. The 
difficulty in his marriage began after he named his children mild, medium, and hot. <laughs> but he will not let domestic issues get in the way of the task at hand. Competitive eating is the crucible through which greatness is forged. And the evidence comes before us now. His good cholesterol is low. His bad cholesterol is high. And his BMI is borderline presidential. He stands before us like Hercules himself. Albeit a large, bald Hercules at an eating contest. Okay. This year, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Like that's, that was like every single guy had his own little specific thing. I wonder if, if Nathan's... And the host does that, comes up with those, or if they like submit, here's my bio, here's my description. Here's another one. Let's see. Major League Eating. Here's Joey Chestnut. Oh, there we go. Greater fortune have we in an endless universe of infinite matter and energy. We have been given consciousness to gaze upon it all and understand. What greater fortune have we to live in America, to stand side by side on the 4th of July, to behold this man? What greater fortune? This is... This is getting me fired up. I can't competitively eat, but... Like the force of life itself, he is written on the world. A belief etched in the shining machinery of our minds. This is badass, right? Immune to the vagaries of time. Forever entwined in the grip that binds our atoms together. That's good. Think Joey Chestnut wrote this himself? I don't know. That's why I was like the longest intro ever. So when every single competitor was announced, they came walking across the stage. Yeah, Joey Chestnut, broken foot. He had basically like a platform that he all of a sudden appeared on, and then was basically like taken. Yeah. To the eating platform. Everyone else had to walk across the stage. He was like the god. Like he's Xerxes and yeah, 300. He was like lifted they, up when, above everybody. When they all carry Xerxes uh, to talk to Leonidas. College football is dying. The article, the headline of the article from our friend from Bucky's Fifth Quarter, Drew Hom. We must say good morning to Drew. Drew, good morning, my man. What's going on today? How are we? Good morning. Thank you guys for having me on. I'm excited. Uh, I'm very excited. So I was uh, telling you this uh, off air a little bit. I was at the gym yesterday and I was uh, in between sets and I was uh, just looking at Twitter and I saw your article pop up on Bucky's fifth quarter. I started reading and I was like, damn, this guy's spot on a lot of things. But before we dive into it, Drew, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, how can we, what were you at on Twitter and how'd you come to be with Bucky's fifth quarter? Uh, so, I am a University of Wisconsin graduate. It only took me just under a decade to get that degree. Oh, you're a doctor. And, uh, 
Yes, I am a, a doctor of blogging. It's uh, very prestigious. Um, and I, I started writing for uh, Bucky Smith Quarter. I, I can't even remember when, maybe seven, eight years ago. And uh, then you might know Jake Kokorowski. Oh, we love Coco. For, uh, yeah, for the for the State Journal. He uh, helped bring me on board at, at Bucky's Fifth Quarter. And then when, when he left, he made the mistake of putting me in charge. And... Uh, <laughs> there i've been for the last couple of years uh, well i'm glad he made that mistake a great article i was reading so uh drew i uh, love bucky's fifth quarter been reading it and uh, on it a long time L- love jay kokorowski as well i'm glad that you stepped in and, and filled admirably in his shoes so uh college football is dying and then the next little byline i don't know if there's anything that can save it first of all when you saw the news of ucla and the usc uh, joining the big 10 in 2024 how surprised were you I mean, c- completely surprised. Uh, everything out there about uh, college football realignment kind of was pointing towards it being done for a little while, mm-hmm. maybe a, a couple minor moves, but nothing like two of the marquee programs in the Pac-12 up and leaving and joining the Big Ten. I, I was at a, a 10 out of 10 on the surprised yeah, same, especially because they had that alliance that they formed, like, what, two years ago? Uh, the alliance, not to break up all this, uh, but like many, uh, money rules over everything. So, uh, obviously, this is a money grab for a lot of players, or I'm sorry for uh, the schools here. Uh, looking at your article right now, you know, say the move isn't in the best interest of the athletes playing. Let's start there. Uh, what happens with these athletes now, uh, the players, student athletes, traveling East Coast, West Coast, Midwest? What did you find out uh, about them, you know, basically flying all over cross country? Well, it, it just seems kind of insane to me for the schools and the NCAA to keep insisting that these are student athletes when they're going to make someone in Los Angeles fly to Piscataway, New Jersey, <laughs> on a Wednesday for a basketball game. Like how, how is that in any way helping these athletes get their homework done or go to class or, you know, any of that stuff. It's just, they'll be exhausted. They'll have to miss extra class. I, I know it's not always the most important thing for your football and your men's basketball, but there are also a ton of other sports that will be affected by this move. Really? Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy when you actually get in and, and see what a schedule for like a Division One athlete actually looks like. Because I, I know a guy that played Division One baseball, and he's like, "Yeah, I was hardly ever home from basically the second semester." And then the first semester when they were doing like fall baseball, he's like, "Yeah, we we were probably in class for like maybe three days a week." Right, it's that's crazy, man. Well, I mean, oh, that, uh, and then Drew uh, on the players itself. Then how about the fans? I mean, next in your is uh, uh, in your article at Bucky Smith Quarters, the fans. I mean, if you are a fan of like, i.e., the Wisconsin Badgers, how is this affecting them now? Well, I, I think the the main thing for the fans is just the reason college sports hold such a special place in a lot of people's hearts is the tradition. And the rivalries and, you know, it's Wisconsin versus Minnesota in November when the weather's terrible and it's cold. It's not, I, I don't care about Wisconsin playing UCLA unless it's in the Rose Bowl and Ron Dane is, you know, 
plowing over their defenders. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to see them play every year. I don't want to see Wisconsin's basketball team play USC. I just, that, that means nothing to me. I, I'm not even from Wisconsin, but I, I grew up a Wisconsin fan and these rivalries and traditions mean things to people. Right. And this is just kind of spitting in the face of all the fans who have been not even just Wisconsin fans, just big 10 fans in general for as, as long as they have. And it's, it's tough to tough to watch. Yeah. Drew Hom joining us right now. Follow him on Twitter, Drew Hom, H-A-M-M-5 on Twitter. Also find his work at Bucky's Fifth Quarter. So uh, as you were you know, you know, putting all your stuff together for this article and, and seeing uh, the realization of, as uh, right here, I don't know if there's anything that can save it. College football is dying. I mean, how does it make you feel, uh, you know, a Wisconsin alum, a guy who is a college football fan? Is there any, you said, I don't think we can save it. Is there anything that can be done, or is it one of those things like, Hey, we are just the victim of people getting cash grabs and we're eventually just going to have two super conferences and you may not like it, but you have to accept it. Is there anything that can be done at all? Drew? I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, a lot of people compare it to in Europe when they tried to create the, the super league for soccer and all the English soccer fans were protesting about it because it was ruining the tradition of the, of the sport. Yeah. And I, I don't know if, college football fans have that dog in them to, you know, protest about this. And I I don't know even if they did, if it would make any difference. It's just, it seems like this is the change that is coming and either you'll watch it or you won't. (laughs) And the people making the decisions don't care because they still get their money. And it doesn't matter if, isn't that disheartening? uh, That's just the world, how it is now. Isn't that disheartening though, man? It is, and I, I feel like it's such a, a downer, pessimistic point of view on things, but that's just the way it's headed. You don't add USC and UCLA to a conference that is primarily in the Midwest after already adding Rutgers and Maryland without not giving a crap about what people think. Right. Drew, I'm curious your thoughts on this. Do you think that some of these – I guess offers to like UCLA and USC were sped up due to NIL and players making money. When you say offers, what do you, what do you mean? Like as in the big 10 saying, Hey, USC, UCLA, well, we'd like you to come to the big 10. Obviously it's going to be a big cash grab for us. It'll be a big cash grab for you. Do you think that that was put into motion quicker because of NIL becoming a real thing with players being able to make money? Uh, I I don't think so. And if what I was reading is correct, uh, USC and UCLA actually reached out to the Big Ten first Mm. and wanted to kind of get out of the Pac-12, which they saw as a a sinking ship. I I am outside of uh, this return to tradition for college football. I'm pretty progressive on all other things related to college sports. I think NIL is uh, good. Yeah. I think the transfer portal is beneficial to uh, the athletes in college, and I, I don't think that had much of an, an effect on on any of this. Well, Drew, let's uh, real quick. Do you th- is Notre Dame, in your humble opinion, do you think they're going to be coming to the Big Ten eventually? Here, I I think they are going to have to make a move to uh, to a conference if they want to keep things where they're at because. Yeah. Staying independent for as long as they did worked when there were a bunch of kind of smaller fiefdoms around the country. But if they're going to be two massive ones, 
they kind of have to get in or get or risk being left behind. Yeah, uh, let's do something positive before I let you go, Drew. Instead of you know, please give us something positive. The Wisconsin something we are going to watch. The Wisconsin Badger football team still you know no UCLA USC till twenty twenty four, but we do have a season upcoming. What do we think of the outlook of the Wisconsin Badgers coming up here? And are you sick and tired of the main headline? Can Graham Mertz take that next step? Oh man, I have. Every day I wake up and I have changed my opinion on Graham Mertz and whether or not he will take the next step. <laughs> this morning, I was trying to stay positive, and I think he's going to do it. I think he's going to enter the, the top tier of quarterbacks in the Big Ten. Um, I'm excited to see the, the rebuilt secondary for the Badgers. I think they did a, a great job in the transfer portal, picking up some veteran players to fill in a few holes that they had. Uh, they just got that safety from Utah Mm. late in the kind of transfer portal cycle. And I I think the the secondary could be one of the best we've seen on, uh, on the field for the Badgers in years. Yeah. I can't, I can't wait. And, and selfishly for me, I can't wait to get down for a tailgate and just, you know, punish my liver a little bit uh, because that is so fun. It's like the battle of States, the first four games. So you have all these States and finishing with uh, what is it? Ohio state. Will Wisconsin go four and zero with the battle of the States to start the season? Or will they have egg on their face with a loss in there? Maybe against Ohio state in that fourth week. (laughs) Yeah. I, I foresee very few scenarios where Wisconsin goes into Columbus (laughs) and comes home the victor. Let me ask you, uh, Illinois state. Is that a win for Wisconsin? I don't even think that's a real school. I think that's just a bye week. I think that's a win. Yeah. Washington State is that a win for Wisconsin? Yeah, th- those guys also stink. They're going to be dead in the Pac-12. Since. New Mexico State is that a win? How for about Wisconsin? a better question for the first? <laughs> hey, what do you mean for the for the first three games? If the Wisconsin Badgers did not drop back and pass one time, how many of those three games would they win? Ooh. Okay, didn't drop back and pass once. They definitely beat Illinois State and New Mexico State. And then Washington State, I think they win on a last-second field goal. <laughs> Raylan Allen is like the Heisman. Like he's got more yards than he's ever had in his whole I, I literally, I agree with him. I think they could probably go three and zero if they didn't throw the ball one time in the first three games. <laughs> hey Drew, we appreciate your time, man. And uh, let's let's once the season gets underway, let's get you back on again and talk uh, some Wisconsin. Once there's some action on the field, okay, my friend. I would love to do it. Thanks for having me, guys. Drew, thanks so much, man. We appreciate your time. Have a good uh, what's today? Have a good Tuesday, my friend. You too. See you, buddy. There he is. Good stuff from Drew. Uh, follow him on Twitter, uh, Drew Ham H A M M five, and uh, his work at Bucky's. So I saw a publication that tweeted out like the top fifty receivers in college football for this upcoming season. Yeah, Ohio State had three guys in the top fifty. <laughs> what a game! Ready to go. Here it is. He missed inside, and the Brewers have come back. Urias scores. Yelich. The bases loaded walk. Here's the stretch from Boxberger. The payoff. Struck him out looking. He threw him another changeup, and Hap was frozen. A sequence from Brad Boxberger. And the pitch. Swing a line drive. Deep center. It's over. Take his hand and over the 
a win for the Milwaukee Brewers over the Chicago Cubs at American Family Field. That game had it all, Rowdy. The dramatics. The dramatics of the Brewers' victory over the Cubs on 4th of July. That was the weekend. Long weekend. Yeah, it was a long weekend. Didn't do a whole lot. Pretty much just uh, relaxed at home. But I do have to say I was messaging a couple different people before that game even started because I was looking at some of the Brewers' upcoming roster, the salary, uh, payroll that they have going, and some of the guys that might be available or potential options for the Brewers over the weekend. And Messaging these two guys, I said, you know who's been a really underrated trade that David Stearns has made? Victor Carantini's been pretty solid. <laughs> Kid you not, three hours later, he hits that home run. And this is crazy, but what a... Okay, this game literally had it all yesterday. The dramatics of of everything, especially late in the game, was absolutely insane. Uh, real quick, just to get this off of my chest, I love. I'll go to ESPN.com and I'll click on you know the the Brewers beating the Cubs five to two. And you know, whenever you click on an ESPN article, they have a video that usually goes with it. You ever, you ever notice that when you click on the the article, Rowdy, you see a, the video pop up of like the major highlight. Yeah, most of the time, and. It's like kind of annoying because you don't want the video to pop up. Yeah, I mean, all the time, but usually, some, some, usually it's like the biggest play of the game. Here's the one that that had the the biggest impact. Well, this just shows how much little that ESPN and the uh, the Four Letter Network and, and national media cares about the Milwaukee Brewers. The main highlight that they have is Josh Hader giving up the inside the park home run to Suzuki. That's not Victor Carantini. With the, so the the home run with two outs in the bottom of the 10th. No, no. It's the inside-the-park home run from the Chicago Cubs Suzuki. So that, that right there, my friends, shows you how much they don't care about the Milwaukee Brewers. But here's what we care. Fly the L and fly it proud, Chicago, as the Brewers three games above now the Cardinals for first place in the NL Central. Dude, that game was wild, man. And this right here is just wild in general. After striking out in each of his first four plate appearances... Victor Carantini then hit that three-run shot. Two outs, bottom of the 10. Well, the Brewers' offense looked awful for most of that game until the last couple innings, and once again, struggled against a left-handed pitcher. Yeah. But they did get the win, and who cares if the Brewers stole it? Uh, no, no one cares, especially against the Chicago Cubs. Uh, wow. Brad Boxberger before that, top of the 10th, absolutely insane. Uh, Boxberger... Uh, worked his way out of the bases loaded jam, top of the tenth, uh, striking out Wilson Contreras, Ian Happ, who had been ahead on the count three and one. So that was pretty crazy. Uh, before that, you know, you had Eric Lauer, the starting pitcher. That uh, was a pitcher's duel, uh, getting it going between him and Justin Steele. I mean, what what a great way to cap off the Fourth of July weekend, Rowdy, and then some great baseball at American Family Field. So you, um, I was listening to it on the radio, and then I had myself a little. Uh, a uh, yank stream off of the interwebs. Were you able to? Now you had a little interesting for way of for way of trying to watch this game. Well, yesterday. first off, it's Fourth of July, <laughs> America's birthday, Rowdy, and baseball's supposed to be America's national pastime. Yes, there was not one game, not one game, on Fox, TBS, or ESPN from. I think the first pitch yesterday was at 10.05 between the Marlins and the Nationals. 10.05 Central Time 
in the morning was the first pitch for Major League Baseball. Then the last game kicked off at 8-10 at night. There was not one game during the day on that, on any of those national stations. But um, MLB Network did run a marathon of games pretty much from 10.05 in the morning through 8-10 at night. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of nice. But... As one of the teams that was on that marathon, it was the Brewers and it was the Cubs. Mm -hmm. So I had watched parts of the (laughs) Marlins and the Nationals. Then after that, it was uh, the Boston Red Sox game. But after the Boston Red Sox game, it showed how, oh, Brewers and Cubs would be on next. Well, the game went to extra innings, so I was kind of waiting there. Had the game up on my laptop for the Brewers. After that, it's about the third inning and they crossed over because I was expecting it to be blacked out because <laughs> yeah, every yeah. time it gets put on, on uh, MLB network, it gets blacked out because it's in your area. Yeah. Well, all of a sudden Red Sox are over. They flash over the Brewer Cubs game and all of a sudden it's the same screen that I'm looking at on my computer and the TV. I'm like, huh. Maybe they're just not blacking it out because it's the 4th of July. Yeah. It's a holiday weekend, whatever. It's America's birthday, America's pastime. End up pulling up another game on the laptop, and now I'm watching the Brewers on the TV, which is what I would prefer. Same, same. I get to watch about an inning and a half, and all of a sudden, my it went to commercial because the Brewers were going to be coming up to hit bat again. The commercial just froze. Like, the screen was frozen. (laughs) So I'm like, well, that's weird. So I just sat there for a couple minutes. Then I changed it over to a different station. It was working. So I go, I'll go back to uh, MLB network, went back to MLB network. And then I got the screen or the, the notification across the screen saying this game is blacked out because it's in your area. So So weirdly enough, I got an inning and a half of the Brewers game until they officially blocked it out on MLB network. So dumb. So you you got teased Rowdy. You got teased with on America's birthday with America's pastime. And I thought about this team. You know how they introduced that Bally Sports app for the Brewers and Bucks? Yes. 20 bucks a month? Yes. I was thinking about this. So if you get the Major League Baseball package through like MLB.com or whatever, yeah. you can pay 75 bucks for the entire year and watch every single game offered outside of the one in your area. Correct. Still... <laughs> I would consider paying that 75 bucks to watch all of the other teams, but my team before I paid $20 a month, a month. just for my team. Yeah. But I did think about one thing that could potentially swayed me into buying that because it's not, it's definitely not going to be the bucks, but it would be, what if instead of just the bucks and brewers, mm-hmm. what if they had like the bucks G league and oh. how about like all of the, the minors? Brewers minor leagues from like low A ball through triple A. Then it would be a little bit more enticing because it's like you see highlights of like Joey Weimer like every other week about how he's just killing it down in double A. It's like, hmm, maybe maybe (laughs) they could (laughs) swayed some people if they threw in minor league games where it's like, oh, I could turn on the Joey Weimers or I could turn on the Sal Freelicks before they actually got to the big league. Now, Rowdy, that makes too much sense. That makes too much sense for them to actually do because that sounds like a great idea. Instead, you would just be stuck with, you know, Brewers and Bucks for $20 a month. And you said MLB Network is 70-something, 75 a year? No, no, the the, yeah, the MLB.com. MLB is 75? Yeah, it's 75, but you would get every single team except, except for yours. the Brewers. That's the but dumbest thing ever. you would potentially get the Brewers if they were out of market. Yeah. I never under... 
Does that make sense to anyone? I just don't I don't understand it. Especially as Rowdy pointed out, it's absolutely egregious that on America's birthday, Independence Day, you're watching America's pastime and you can't even watch the team that you root for in the state that you live in. That is just asinine. Victor Carantini was the fifth major league player since nineteen hundred to strike out his first four plate appearances of a game before hitting a walk off homer his fifth time up. The other, Mike Schmidt in 83, Ray Knight in 86, David Justice in 01, and Derek Norris in 2015. You want some some more history, Click? No. I I told you earlier, starting the show, when we were talking about this, that I had been messaging a couple guys, and we were talking about the Brewers on July 4th. Mm -hmm. And here's my message at 325. Happy 4th. One move that Stearns made that no one talks about is Carantini. Guy's been pretty solid. (laughs) <laughs> and then you get the, the messages back. Like, yeah, he's definitely been under the radar. And then I get another message, 7.15 p.m. <laughs> Brewers had walked it off. He yeah. goes, was thinking we jinxed him today with his golden sombrero. But then, boom. Boom show. Yeah, Victor Carantini. And he was playing first base because Pedro it's Severino back, obviously, the la- he was eligible the last couple games due to that PED uh, suspension. But, yeah, Brewers get a split over the weekend with the Pittsburgh Pirates. That is what it is. I yeah. mean, you had Burns and you had Woody pitch extremely well, and then you got had guys not named Burns and Woody, uh, Woody pitch not great. <laughs> Ashby, Ashby all of a sudden hit another wall once he got to, like, that third, yeah. fourth inning. That was his first start back after the uh, forearm uh, discomfort. Now, hopefully he can build off of that and, and come back. But I mean, overall Brewers are getting healthy. They got to split it. It was what it was started off this series with the Cubs and the scrubs. What a game because the Brewers, well, they gave up a solo shot and that was basically all the Cubs did. Was it Nelson and then, Velasquez? Yeah, then a strong first name, so casually hit a home run. <laughs> Rookie Nelson Velasquez. But then the second run, it was inexcusable. I mean, Jonathan Davis, remember when they brought him up because they DFA'd Locaine? Yep. Everyone's like, hey, what's the scuttlebutt on this guy? Well, it's a guy that's almost 30 years old. He's been a yeah. defensive, a solid defensive player, but he's a guy that struggled to hit the baseball at the higher levels of minor leagues. And he's really at best a quadruple a player. I think when you look at Jonathan Davis, he has played overall pretty good outfield mm-hmm. and in the minor leagues. That's what he was known for. He was known as a defensive specialist, more or less in center field. I think what you just saw last night, when they had the inside the park home run bad bounce off the wall. It's that, but it's also just inexperienced playing in Miller park. Yeah. Knowing knowing the exact dimensions, because if you remember Robin Yount was the guy that helped design Miller park Mm -hmm. and he had triples in mind with kind of like the weird uh, wall organization where if it takes weird bounces, it can kick certain ways. That's just, in my opinion, that's Jonathan Davis. Who's overall a decently good outfielder. Just not exactly knowing every dimension and every part of that wall because that was bad. It was yeah, it was bad. Well, and he can't throw an error on it either because technically it was never there. And now all of a sudden, Hater gives up an inside the park home run. But how about Suzuki? Suzuki was busting ass. He was when he, he got hit it, he that got ball. Yeah. So I mean, hats off to him too. But Jonathan Davis, I don't think we'll ever so, see him ha- make that type of a play again. With here's the here's the other history that was made at uh, American Family Field yesterday. So Nelson Velasquez, uh, Velasquez hit his first career homer in the third. 
You had the inside the park home run by Suzuki, and then you had the walk off from uh, Victor Carantini for the Brewers. With that, according to Stats Perform, it was the first time in Major League history, first time ever, to feature one player hitting his first career homer, another hitting an inside the park homer, and another producing a walk off homer. First time it has ever happened in the history. Of Major League Baseball. And I know we talked about this. Crazy how mul- baseball is so nuts. Multiple times at the beginning of the show, the Grant interview. But obviously, Poxberger getting out of that jam in the 10th inning where you automatically have a guy starting on second base. And then he allowed another base runner. That was huge. Mm-hmm. But how about just the Brewers in general? When you have the luxury of burning a Devin Williams and a Josh Hader in that game, yet still having a guy like a Brad Boxberger, who's your seventh inning man that was available. And that's a guy that was an all-star closer back in the day. And he's been really good for the Brewers since they signed him two years ago. Mm -hmm. Like having Brad Boxberger is such a luxury. So uh, Craig council, I have some comments here. I want to talk or have him talk about here. So Brad Boxberger, and then you got Christian Yelich too, the wherewithal to not, Strike out. I mean, Yelly's been really good at leadoff. He walked with the bases loaded. That tied the ball game at the well, Suzuki. It's just crazy that the, the Milwaukee Brewers have the best closer in baseball and Josh Hader. They're already started. There's been chatter on different broadcasts about him starting to be like, oh, this guy's the best closer ever. Look at his numbers. And I think it was the Pirates broadcast, if I remember correctly. They were talking about Josh Hader because he came in in that mop-up role at the in the last game, and they're yeah. like, man, it's been a four-game series, and we haven't even hardly seen Josh Hader. This is the first time, and it's, it's not even like a, a save situation. He just needs work. Mm-hmm. And they were – I can't remember the exact stat, but I, I think it was he has more – it was more – yeah, he has more – strikeouts in his first 100 saves than Mariano Rivera. And he just like, they showed the list and it was Damn. just like Josh Hader, big gap, Mariano Rivera, big gap, everyone Damn. else. And it's like, he has been that good. And now when you think about it, Josh Hader's been that good since 2017, it's 2022. He's put it together for five years now. It's crazy. And then it's like, you had people just a year or so ago talking about trading Josh Hader in the off season to get a big return because you were so comfortable with Devin Williams. Don't look now, but after that first few weeks where Devin Williams couldn't throw strikes. Yeah. He hasn't given up a, a run in like his last 21 appearances and he's got an ERA just north of two. You would feel extremely comfortable having Devin Hader or Devin Hader, Devin Williams as your closer. If Josh Hader was down yeah. or if he was gone. And then when you think about it for probably the next year and a half, you would probably feel pretty comfortable having brought uh, Brad, man, I can't even speak today. You're fine. Brad Boxberger at closer. If Devin Williams was down or traded because Boxberger has been a closer in the past, he was an all-star at the closer position and he's been really good for the Brewers the last two years. By the way, he has an option for next season at just $3 million. I think at 35 years old, uh, for next season, he'll be back on the Brewers for extremely cheap again. They've they've had yeah. three guys that would easily be penciled in on a lot of different teams at closer, and it's their seven, their eight, 
They're nine. And we haven't even talked about guys like Trevor Gott that have had good years. Yeah. And and Brewers some of those guys dude. haven't even been healthy, and yet the Brewers' bullpen continues to move on and on and being a top-ten bullpen pretty much every year since Stearns has gotten there. Uh, Cubs fly the L. Just fly that L proud. As the Brewers now are three games up, three, one, two, three, on the St. Louis Cardinals as the Cardinals lost to the Braves yesterday. So there you go, 47-35 and 35 the record, Cards 44-38, and 38, and then Pirates, Cubs, then Reds.